And uh, just a beautiful, beautiful time this morning. Um, I say that about worship, and obviously we understand uh, as we open up His Word, uh, we are continuing in worship. Uh, do not believe that this is because the music has ended and now the preaching has started. Uh, this is all worship to our Father. And so if you have a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And uh, this morning, as we continue our talk through uh, we started talking about last week the most destructive three-letter word in the English language, which last week we discovered was the word sin. Uh, I loved it. Uh, some of you saw on Facebook last week, uh, I put on there a little kind of a teaser about that. And uh, on my Facebook page, I shared that. And a friend of mine I used to work with, uh, doesn't go to church here and, and hasn't, uh, she actually messaged me on Tuesday. And she said, okay, it's killing me. It's killing me. What was the word? I thought, well, I thought it was pretty obvious, but I wrote back, I was like, well, it's sin, you know, and so on and so forth. But I thought it was kind of interesting that uh, she was even like, what, what was that word that you were talking about? So last week we started talking about this destructive word, the word of sin. And I hope, as we talked about last week, that this week, as you've spent time with God or walked through your life, that you have seen sin differently, that your view of sin has changed, has changed from maybe an apathy or a calling it a mistake or just a happenstance, or just a bad decision, and you realize this is sin, and it's damaging. That was my hope through this week, that you would realize that your sin, my sin, our sin, is destructive. It's damaging. And it doesn't just affect you, it affects everyone around you. And so my hope is that this last week, your, your view of sin has changed in a biblical sense. But also I hope that your view of God's love for you has changed. Let me say that again. I hope that your view of God's love for you, the love we just sang about, I love the line in that song that when I realize his love, I don't have time to maintain these regrets. I can't hold on to regrets and guilt and shame in the face of an unconditional, unending, forever kind of eternal love. I can't even, it doesn't make sense. And so I hope that your view of God's love has changed because as we talked about last week, if you do not see God's love for what it is, then you will never see sin for what it is. And if you don't see sin for what it is, you will never see God's love for what it is. If I don't understand my brokenness, I will never elevate the sacrifice to an appropriate standard. But if I think I was pretty much a good person, I mean, I wasn't perfect, but I was pretty much a good person. I never did this or that or whatever sin that you classify as big sin and little sin right? I never killed anybody. I mean, I took a paperclip one time from the office and no one caught me, but I mean, I never killed anybody. In case you're wondering, there are a couple deacons in here. I've never taken a paperclip. Put it on record. It's on recording, okay? Who am I kidding? I've probably taken a hundred paperclips. I don't even know, okay? It's, how do you keep track of such things? Um, although I did have someone tell me, and it was in jest, but we were talking about something and they said, you know, just take a little bit of it and it's not really that big of a deal, now, it was in relation to possibly stopping this morning on the way into church and pulling up alongside a cornfield and just breaking off part of a stalk. And then bringing that stalk in and setting it right here. Just for a visual for the whole service. And I said, oh man, I should have brought a, a, a stalk of corn. And uh, I was talking to this person about it before this morning. And uh, they said, well, they said, just stop and grab one. I said, I just pulled up next to some random guy's field. Thanks. Getting the, well, it's just a little. I mean, you're just taking a little bit. It's not a big deal. It's not like you're taking the whole field. So I kind of thought that was interesting that apparently when you sin, it's okay if you just do it a little bit. Okay? Just sin a little bit. But how does that work with, like, say, like arsenic? Just put a little bit of arsenic on your Frosted Flakes in the morning. Just a little bit. You'll be fine. Of course, it doesn't matter. Sin is sin. And it's not that I was kind of a, a, not a bad person, but I wasn't a, a great person. I was a good person. And so God saved me, but I really wasn't that bad of a sinner. See, if I think that way, then the sacrifice of the cross means so much less than what it really should. But if I realize that Ephesians is the word of God when it says that I was dead, I was void of life, and God quickened me through Jesus Christ. He made me alive through the cross of Christ, through the death, burial, and resurrection. And now I live and I breathe a living spiritual being because of God's great love for me. Because in the face of my sin, he came anyway. And so I hope your view of God's love has changed. 
I hope that you don't see it as just this, this kind of this trite thing that we say in church when we try to get somebody to believe in Jesus and we talk about the love of God. We need to live understanding every day a deeper sense of the love of God. Because it is the love and grace of God that doesn't just save you, it sustains you. It keeps you as you walk this life. It's not like we're saved by grace and then live under some other means. We are saved by grace and we walk in grace and we live in grace and we breathe in grace. So many Christians think I have my sins forgiven by the cross and now I got to live under some set of rules or laws and that's what keeps me. No, it's the grace of God that saved you that keeps you. And that grace is only available because of his depth of love for you. See, everything we have through Christ is an act of his mercy for us. Romans chapter 6, as we continue on this talk this morning, I want to read just two verses and kind of get back to this idea of talking about this destructive three-letter word. Look at Romans 6 and verse 6. And we're going to put this in a lot of context this morning. And so as I read this, just kind of read it with me there. And then we'll talk more about this. Verse 6. It says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should, ser- we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. I want you to look at that again. Just don't read it like Americans. Don't read it like just to get to the next verse, because we do that, right? I'm only reading this verse to get to the next one. Look at this and just read what it says and, and allow the Spirit of God to speak into your life this morning. Knowing this, there's knowledge, there's an education. I understand it. I know it. That our old man is crucified with him, crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, from this point on, he says, now that you now know that, from here on, you should not serve sin, because if you were crucified, then you have died, and if you died, you are freed from sin. I mean, that's a powerful verse, powerful passage this morning, and I want you to really think about what it says. If you are dead in Christ, you've received him as your Lord and Savior by putting your faith not in Baptist, not in North Goodland, not in baptism, not in tithe checks, but just in Jesus. Then you have been set free from sin. You have died with Christ. And by the way, he goes on to say, if you've been buried with him, then you will rise with him. He has set you free from sin in salvation. Last week, we answered the question of what is sin? And how do I have my sins forgiven? What is sin and how do we have our sins forgiven? This morning I want to look at two more questions as we discuss this topic of sin. Two more important questions we need to kind of tackle this morning. Number one, what happens when a Christian sins? What happens when a Christian sins? Now this is a question that has been answered many different ways over many different years. Like so many other things in Christianity, there's a view for everything. That's just how it is. Okay? It's just there's so many different views out there. There are really, though, with this topic and this question, there's only really three ways to answer this question. There's only three main views when you boil it all down. The first view is that Christians cannot sin if they are really a Christian. Christians cannot sin if they are really a Christian. This is one of the views held by the church or by Christians. This is also called sinless perfection. So what this means is that once you receive Christ, if you are genuinely saved that you will never, from the point of receiving Christ to the point of death, you will never sin a sin. It is impossible to sin. And it's very easy that if you do sin, then what is the out there? Well, if you do sin, then you must have never really been a Christian. That's how we explain that. So the first view is the idea of sinless perfection, or that if you really are a Christian, you really receive Christ, then you can never really sin. The second view is that Christians lose their salvation if they sin. Now, here's the catch with this, this doctrine or this teaching. Nobody really needs, seems to know what sin it is that causes us to lose our salvation. I don't know if anybody here has ever had discussions with somebody that would believe this or had conversations with somebody. I've talked to some people that believe this. And the first question I always ask is, so, okay, wait, so if I sin a certain sin, I can lose my salvation. Yes. What is that sin? Well, I don't know. Okay. So it's just any sin, every sin. Like, could you imagine living that way just for a moment think about that you wake up in the morning what is you what are you what are you concerned about that day 
I don't want to sin, right? Breakfast, that's me, brother, right? I'm talking about breakfast, right? But if you're worried about losing your salvation, your whole day is spent thinking about one thing. Don't lose my salvation, right? I mean, you get mad in, in traffic. Is it still there? I, is, it, is it there? Did I lose it? Okay, it's not like your wallet, right? Like you don't leave your salvation at home and forget it on your nightstand, okay? It doesn't work that way. But there are those that would believe this. I asked somebody that one time. I said, let me ask you. I said, what is the sin that caused me to lose my salvation? And they said, if you break one of the Ten Commandments. I looked at it, and this, believe me on this, this is, people will only repeat what they've been taught. And that's the scary thing as a pastor. We need to go into the Word of God and say, what does the Bible actually teach? Not just what my pastor says. So I hope you this morning do the same thing. We can disagree on things, by the way. We can have disagreements on things, but there's some things we can't disagree on. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Jesus Christ did live a sinless life. Jesus Christ really did die on a cross, really was buried, and really did rise again. And by putting my faith in that and that alone, I find salvation and heaven as my home. See, those are things we cannot, you can't disagree on that and say, I'm a Christian. Otherwise, you are not a Christian according to the Bible. So I asked this guy, I said, what do you got to do to lose your salvation? He said, just don't break one of the Ten Commandments. I said, wow. Can I ask you an honest question? He said, sure. I said, have you ever broken one of the commandments since you've been saved? And he said, well, yeah. I said, so what'd you do? He said, I just got saved again. Okay. I said, How do, what if you don't know you broke one? He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, well, let's say you don't commit adultery and you don't kill someone and you don't lie. Okay, probably lying. Um, I said, have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? He said, oh, I would never swear using the Lord's name. I would never say that swear word. I said, you understand that doesn't just mean swearing, right? See, anytime you say the name God and you don't in your mind and in your spirit revere and honor and praise him as the father of all creation, you just say his name kind of flippantly. You just made his name empty or vain. That's what that means. I mean, do you see how... If you really tried it, you can't even do it. As Christians, we would struggle to do that. And then there's this verse in James that says, if you've offended in one area, you've offended in all. I mean, you see, when you look at the scriptures and you start talking through this, you realize, wow, you can't keep it. It's not about keeping the law. Jesus set us free from that, he said. So there's two views so far. We've got Christians cannot sin. And I, we know pe- I know people that, that believe these two different views. So Christians it's not like it's this Baptist rare, churches. super uncommon belief. These Christians really cannot sin if they are really a Christian. Christians lose their salvation if they sin, a certain sin which nobody seems really to be able to nail down. And the third one is that Christians can still choose to sin even though all their sins are already forgiven. But that sin decision can and will hinder their walk with the Lord. Now we would believe the last view is the accurate view that we see in scripture. You see, some believe that because we are made a new creature, that our sin nature is taken away, and now we are no longer able to sin. And I would say that, yes, we are saved, and we are made a new creature, but scripture also teaches that we still are tempted to sin and are capable of giving into a sinful decision. A reference you can write down there is Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 25. See, any of us in this room, we can be fully saved, fully trusting in Christ, but because we have this thing, this fleshy stuff on our bodies, and we live in this fallen world, that we, in our members, there's a war going on. And the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us and trying to guide us into righteous living and holy living, but there's this other side of us, James says, this, this, this flesh that kind of dwells up temptation within us, and we have a choice to make now. And we have to choose, am I following the flesh or am I following the Spirit? See, I as a Christian can still choose to sin. However, that sin is completely forgiven in Christ. And you might say, whoa, whoa, whoa. So does that mean I can sin as much as I want to get away with it? Absolutely not. Romans 6 talks about that. The very first verse says, do we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. If he's saying that to the church at Rome, why would he tell the church at Rome and challenge them to say, do we sin that grace may abound? He's implying that Christians have committed sin. See, it's not that we say, I can't sin, or I should never be able to sin. It's, no, no, we sin because we're human beings. But it doesn't make the sin okay. It means we need to acknowledge the sin for what it is. 
That sin decision does not take away our salvation. And here's why. Basic principle. Because you did not earn it by any merit or work of your own. So then therefore, how can you lose it by any merit or work of your own? I am not saved because I'm a good person. I am not kept in Christ because I'm a good person. I am kept in Christ because Jesus said, I will keep you. That's why I am kept in Christ. Because he says, in my hand, no one can pluck you out. And if you think they can pluck you out of my hand, well, my hand's in the Father's hand. And no one can pluck you out of my Father's hand. I am not kept in my salvation because I'm a good Christian. Or because I go to church. Or because I pray. I am a Christian, a follower of Christ, simply because Christ says, if you believe in me, you are my son or daughter. Period. But in the Christian church, we put so much stuff on that. I mean, I've actually had to Christians tell me, if you don't go to church regularly, I don't think you're really a Christian. No, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. It says if you are a Christian, you've received Christ. You are following Jesus Christ. Does that mean you probably will go to church? You will do certain things, works and stuff? Of course you will. James talks about that, that your work will show your faith. What I'm saying is be careful there because too many Christians are running around trying to inspect other people's fruits and not looking at their own tree. Another reference you can write down, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Ephesians 1, 12 through 14, and Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. What I love about Ephesians chapter 1, 12 through 14, it says the Holy Spirit was given unto us to seal us unto the day of redemption. That when I receive Christ and you receive Christ as your Savior... The Holy Spirit of God is given to you and he seals you into the day of redemption, the Bible says. Not into the day of sin. Not into the day of a mistake or a bad decision. He says, no, no, I have saved you. I have sealed you unto the day of redemption. So what's the big deal about sin? If it's already forgiven and it doesn't take away our salvation, then why is it a big deal? Because sin in our lives is destructive. It distracts and deters in our walk with Christ. So what does the Christian do when they sin? Turn over to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Thank you for bringing your Bibles today. Hopefully you have one with you. If you do not have a physical Bible as far as a book type Bible, you got it on your device or your phone or whatever. Uh, thank you for having the Word of God. I, I want to encourage you, uh, if you do not have a copy of the Word of God for yourself, uh, please see us following the service. We would love to give you one. We would love to put one of those in your, a Bible in your hand. And it's completely free, uh, no obligation, no credit check, nothing like that. Just want to give you a copy of the Word of God and uh, let it be a blessing to you. So 1 John chapter 1 and look at verse 8. Now those of you that aren't familiar, 1 John is written by the Apostle John. This is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. And uh, as he's writing this, you're going to hear some similarities between this writing of 1 John and the Gospel of John. So verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. So what's the emphasis here? What's the important thing here? He's saying, listen, don't sin. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you ever talk to a friend that's going through something and they're just living in sin and you want to be like, stop sinning. Right? I mean, it's just like, duh. Like, I mean, come, come on. Like, just look at it. How do you not see? We want to, that's the flesh. Okay. Now the spirit, it sounds like this. Man, brother, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for the Lord to speak. But your flesh is like, just shake them. Like, just stop sinning. Like, how hard is this? Okay? It's very hard. And here's why it's hard. Because it's easy to point out your sin. Right? I mean, I could look at my brother-in-law and be like, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I could do that. I could be like, wow, Ken, Star Wars thing, a little much. Okay? No. Um, but I think he was here for the Idol series. I think. Anyway, so... um. I'm kidding. Uh, so, but it's easy for me to point out someone else's sin. Why? Because odds are, I have that sin in my life, and I get defensive about it, so I put everyone's eyes on you. No one's looking at me. 
This is human nature, right? We don't want our sin exposed, but we love to point out other people's sins. We'll get to that in a little bit. So he says here, my little children. I love that the word of God refers to us as little children. Okay, it's not derogatory. It's meant to be an encouraging thing. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you come to me, you must come as what? Little children. Not in a simplicity of mind, but a simplicity of faith. It's not saying don't think about it. He's saying you need to come in faith. Many Christians are accused of not being very intelligent. That's a, a kind of a common argument that atheists will use. I think to be a Christian requires great intelligence. Because the Bereans in, in Acts had to study the word to find out, is this thing true? And so he's not saying it like saying, oh, you're just simple-minded. He's saying you're simple in your faith. You're coming in faith. He says, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. So don't sin. Stop sinning. This is what he's saying. Stop sinning. Don't sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Do you know what he's saying here? By the way, if you don't understand the context, you might use 1 John 1.9 as a gospel verse or a salvation verse when you're witnessing somebody. 1 John 1.9 will apply there, but it's written to the church. This epistle is written to the church. This is written to believers. You see, John is saying, listen, if you have sin in your life, even as a follower of Christ, you need to be honest about it. You need to call it what it is. It's not a mistake. It's not a bad decision. It's sin. Call it sin. Acknowledge it. Repent from it and move on. He said, listen, if you don't sin, it's better. Don't sin. But if you do fall into sin, then let me remind you of some beautiful truth. We have an advocate, a defender, the one that goes to the father and says, that is my son or daughter. That is mine. And I'm pleading for them. My blood pleads for them. And we have a defense before God. And it is Jesus Christ the righteous. Your defense is not your good works. Your defense is not your church attendance. Your defense is Jesus. And praise God, because guess what? He's constant. He's consistent. He never changes. His love is unending. So John, amen, praise the Lord. John says, don't sin. But if any man do sin, realize the defense that you have with the Father. We need to be honest about the sin. We need to call it what it is and stop covering it up. And I fear that so many Christians have gone to church so long. And maybe you're here and you're new to the whole church thing. Maybe you're here and you're not really been in church a whole lot. You didn't grow up in a Christian home. Maybe you're not familiar with the things I'm saying in regards to that. But maybe you've been here or you're here and you've been in church a long time. And you know what I mean when I say that you can go to church long enough to cover it up. And you can get pretty good at just hiding it. I love the song. I had no idea what she was singing. She had no idea what I was preaching. Praise God for Becky singing that this morning. Because you know what her song said? I will not hide my belief in God. See, what Christians do is we hide our belief in God. But when you do that, when you hide your sin, you're not acknowledging what he did for you. So many Christians cover up their sin and they think nobody notices. Nobody's going to be aware. I mean, it's, it's not obvious to you, is it? I mean, it's obvious to me. It's not obvious to you, is it? I want to share an illustration this morning. And Pastor Keith and Rick Fox are going to help me out with this. So we're going to get some stuff set up. So bear with us as we get this set up real quick. You guys can go ahead. And uh, as they're doing this, I want to share an illustration this morning. And it's one that I prayed a lot about. And uh, I hope this goes over well. So you pray as they're setting up this illustration. What, did somebody run away with it? Okay, this is an illustration that I've been praying about doing for a while. Awesome, right up here, guys. Front and center, perfect. Yeah, put that right on there. Okay, awesome. You can keep the gloves right there, absolutely. All right. Anyone want to take a guess what that is? Alan. That is horse manure. That is right. Okay. I want to thank Rick's horse for contributing to the service this morning. Here's what I want you to think about. Okay. 
Now, all of you can tell your friends that this happened, okay? If they miss church this morning, they're going to be like, what did I miss? What just happened? That's kind of foul. Um, so, here's what I want you to realize. This is sin. This represents the sin in our lives. How many of you have ever had somebody over your house for a dinner and you had to clean up the house before they got there? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay. Most of you, you've experienced that. Here's the idea. This is your sin. This is your life. And you're running around and you're dusting everything. You're kind of cleaning up this. Oh, let me make sure this is good. Oh, there's a spot over here. All right, everything's good. Okay, clean this up over here. Make sure that's fine. And you're going around. You're fisting the whole house up, right? Oh, make sure everything's good. Okay, all right. That's the plants. Make sure everything's good, right? Oh, no, it's got a little bit here. You're spending the whole time cleaning up. This is how good they clean. I can't even find dust. This is crazy. Um, you're going around. You're fixing up the whole house. And you act like this isn't even here. And your friends come over. And they're sitting down. They're like, hey, how's it going? What in the world is that? Right? You spend all this time cleaning the house and fixing it up. And you ignore the obvious. None of us would do that. None of us would think that's okay. None of us would let this go unanswered or unattended if you knew someone was coming over your home. I mean, imagine, this is the centerpiece on a dining room table. Mm, give me seconds, mom. Give me seconds, right? Now, come on! Nobody would do that. But this is your life. And God is walking with you. And he says that when you receive me, I will take up residence in you. We are one flesh, the Bible says. We become one. And we've got unconfessed sin in our lives. And we invite Jesus over like it's just another day. And the whole time we're talking about this or that or this or that or this or that, Jesus is sitting there going, I'd love to talk about this. I I appreciate, I'd love to talk about this. And you know what? So many Christians come to church And they raise their hands, they sing the songs, they say amen, they do all of this. And the whole time the Holy Spirit's in your ear saying, man, thank you for praising this morning, but I'd love to talk about this right now. Thank you for amening that, but I'd love to talk about this. Thank you for singing that song, taking notes, but can we talk about this? And I think Christians, we've got so good at just quieting his voice. No, no, don't want to talk about it, don't want to talk about it. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's guilt. Because this got out of control really fast. Maybe it's because you didn't think it was that big of a deal two years ago when it started. Or six months ago. Maybe it wasn't a big deal when it started. It was subtle. It was small. It was insignificant. You could hide it pretty easily. But now it's out of control. And it's front and center. And you can't hide it anymore. And God is saying, I just want to deal with this. Because to be frank, we got to get the crap out of your lives. Can we be honest? As Christians, we got to let the Holy Spirit get the garbage and the crap out of our lives. Because if we don't, it's going to keep growing and keep growing, and it's going to distract, and it's going to end up destroying not just you, your testimony, your walk, and your family. And you might say, man, how could a Christian let this get out of control? How can a Christian get this far away? Because we are still human beings. But we're free from it. That's the crazy. We're free from this. We don't have to have this. He set us free from all that. It's like in Romans 6, it's like we are dead. So I want you to imagine for a moment someone drowning. And they have drowned and they're at the bottom of the ocean. And that's your old self. And every time you sin, you jump into that water, you swim down there, you grab that corpse, you tie it to your back, you get up on shore, and you walk around like everything is great. Every time you choose to sin, you are resurrecting that old self that you are free from, that has no bondage over you. So many people, I just can't help it. I'm a sinner saved by grace, brother. Yeah, we once were sinners. Now we're called saints. We were once heathens and worldly and ungodly. Now we are called the children of God, the beloved, little children. You need to identify with how Christ identifies you. Have we sinned? Yes, we have. 
Do we still at times make sin decisions? Yes, we do. But I am not a sinner saved by grace. I am a child of God. You are a child of God. So many Christians go, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I can't help it. I just can't help it. No, you need to change your thinking. Because this doesn't have to be. This doesn't have to be in your life. This is your choice. Every decision, you just add a little more. And you add a little more. And you add a little more. And we think every time we go to church or do a good work or do a good religious thing, we think we're emptying that pile out. But guess what? We're not. We're not. I wanted to show this this morning because I want us to see the ridiculousness of it. None of us would put that on our dining room table this afternoon and invite everyone over for dinner. And if you would, I'm not coming. We wouldn't do this. You guys can come grab this now. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're not going to leave it here. I'm not touching it. Are you kidding me? Someone asked, where'd you get that from? I was like, uh, a horse. Okay. Where'd you get that from? No, I appreciate it uh, so much, guys. Hey, don't let that drop on the floor. Ray Garcia and Dave Rummer are like, get that out of here now. They're like, I am not cleaning that up. It's not happening. No, seriously. We need to see the ridiculousness of when we choose to sin and we think that no one is going to notice. Because it is so obvious. And more importantly, it's obvious to our Heavenly Father. So here's what I want to challenge you to this morning. If you're here and there's a sin in your life and nobody else knows, then I want you this morning, and we've got one more point and we're going to be done. I want you this morning to let the Holy Spirit speak to you and address the issue. Whatever it is, and whatever has to happen. And if you're here and you're walking with the Lord, and man, your walk is just, it's where it needs to be. You just feel so close to the Lord. You're just intimately connected with Him. Then praise God for this season of time that you're in. But pray and ask God, God, give me strength. Don't be so careful to be so prideful. Paul says in Galatians, be careful because by the grace of God, there go you. When you see your brother and sister trapped in a sin, you don't go, wow, I'm so glad I'm not like them. No, they just fell maybe quicker or in a different way. You go and you pick them up humbly saying, man, we could both be in the same pit, but praise God for his grace. So what happens when a Christian sins? We've got to acknowledge it as sin and we've got to deal with it. We've got to confess it and repent it. But secondly and finally, as we get ready to wrap up here, how do we respond to others' sins? is the last question I want to ask this morning. How do we respond to others' sins? To be honest, this is really, really hard for Christians. It really is hard for all people in general, but it's really hard for Christians. See, there are usually two main ways that we see and deal with other people's sins. First one is we judge it, right? And man, we are good at that, aren't we? Man, we could do some judging, can't we? We're good. We talk about it with others, We can't believe that they would do thus and so. We look down on them. We condemn them. We think less of them. Secondly, if we're not judging it, it seems like we're just ignoring it. We say things like, it's not my problem. I mean, who am I to judge them? It's not really hurting anyone anyway. It's just their problem. Neither of these is really the best way to respond in themselves. But both can be appropriate at the right time in the right way. Let me explain that a little bit more. I want to look at the life of Christ and see how did he say we should respond to others' in someone's sins. life. Let me also just outright it. ignore it. But if we just jump on them without context of a relationship, they're going to get defensive and they're not going to respond. So when I say we should ignore it, I don't mean we ignore the sin and act like it's not there. It's saying that we need to be careful about how we approach someone on their sin. And it needs to be in the context of a relationship. Not just me telling them all the things they've done wrong and jumping all over them. I want you to think about this for a moment because there's really two groups of people we need to see as we talk about this judging or, or understanding how to deal with other people's sins. There's the unbeliever's life and there's the believer's life. In the unbeliever's life, This is the one that is lost in their sin. John 3.3 gives a great example of what to do there. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So many Christians expect non-believers to live like Christians. And then we get mad and offended when they don't. 
We look at the world around us and the culture around us and we get so offended by people being sinners when they're just sinners. Someone that does not know Christ will not live like Christ. So they're in need of having all their sins forgiven, not just the one that bothers you the most or the one you find most disgusting. We need to acknowledge the consequence of sin when we stand before the Lord, but without Christ, we are all giving an account for our sin. So when sharing Christ with someone that doesn't know Christ and you're telling them the gospel, speak about sin, but focus also on the power of Christ's blood over their sins. What I mean by that is this. It's not a sin problem you need to focus on. It's not this sin or that sin or this specific sin that you're trying to convince them of. It's sin. You see what I'm saying? Don't go to somebody that doesn't know Christ and beat them up for one sin or this sin or that sin. Just go and say, man, God died for all your sins. Do you see the difference? You guys with me so far? I know we're getting a little bit long. Stay with me. We're almost there. Some of you guys I see getting a little bit naughty. It's okay. Don't, don't do that. Okay? Stay with me. I'll get, I'll get Becky back up here. I'll get her back up here. She'll be singing and waking you up. Okay? When we look at someone who doesn't know Christ, it's not pointing out one sin or two sins. It's pointing out their sin and their need for a Savior. You guys got that? It's so important we understand the difference there. So many Christians want to harp on one sin. I've had people ask me, why don't you preach against this sin? Why don't you preach against that sin? I look at it this way. I'd rather preach against all sin, so that way, if I don't touch yours, you still know you've got to confess it. See, too many Baptist churches, too many... I'll pick on Baptists because that's all I've really known. That's all I've really ever attended. Baptist pastors want to get a lot of amens, so they'll pick that one sin, that hot-button sin, and they'll just preach on that for 45 minutes. Meanwhile, nobody in their congregation is battling with that sin. But it's good preaching. Man, it's good preaching. He tore into that group. I'm, it's funny, Jesus seemed to preach more about sin in general than specific sins unless he was dealing with the Pharisees. Isn't that interesting? The religious, he was harder on than the sinners, or the ones that were called sinners, I should say. So the unbeliever's life, don't focus on us sin, focus on sin and the power of Christ's blood to forgive sin. Secondly, the believer's life, this is the one that is saved but living in a sin situation. This is the one that knows Christ a brother or sister in the church that you've seen month after month after month and you can just see something's happening, something's going on. Maybe you hear a rumor. Maybe somebody tells you something and you go to the person and now you've got to decide, how am I going to deal with this? How do I talk to my brother or sister in Christ? And again, if it's a, if it's a woman that's dealing with it and you're a guy, do not go and approach that. Okay? If there's a man in here that sees a, a sister in Christ that's struggling in some way, seek your wife, seek a woman in the church, leadership, Seek them. Let them deal with that. There's nothing more, how do I want to say this, nothing more potentially damaging than a man coming to a woman and trying to condemn her. It is not your place to do that, okay? And it just, there's a lot of things that could happen there. So if it's a woman, I would encourage a woman to go. If it's a guy, I would encourage a man to go. Uh, it just, it just, it's better for the situation, I believe. So how do we deal with this? One passage and then we're going to be done. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. How do we deal with sin in a believer's life? Go all the way down to verse 15. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15. This is Jesus' teaching here. And I want you to pay attention to what he says. Not what we want to hear, but what he says. Verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Another way to translate that word gained is the word won. You have won your brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee uh, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. That word church is the same word, the ecclesia of Jesus' body. Uh, That's the same thing he says all throughout the rest of the scriptures. This is the first time in Matthew the word church is used. And so I think it's important to understand that he's speaking to our church today, not just some conceptual church. He's speaking to our church. He says, tell it unto the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be as unto thee a heathen man and a publican. Now this passage... Just out of curiosity, how many of you have read this passage or you've heard this passage taught before? Raise your hand. You've read it or you've heard it taught? handful of people, okay? Some of you guys are just like, oh, wait, we're raising our hands now? Okay, all right. It's okay. We'll get through it. 
when you hear this or read this, here's the issue I have with what I see in the church today. Not our church, but church in general. This is a principle that many have read. Many have read. But very few of the churches I know of actually follow this instruction given by Christ to the church. We all say we believe it's the word of God. We all say we believe Jesus is teaching. We all believe it's instruction to the local church. But yet so many churches ignore doing this very process. And here's the issue we have with it. The last part. We're all good into the last part. Verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church, the body. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. You know our issue with that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean you tell me you're going to tell my, the whole church what I'm dealing with? Does that sit well with you if it was you that was being talked to the church about? Of course not. That's, that's no, you can't do that, brother. That's legalism. That's, that's hateful. That's, 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 you're just being angry and bitter. And, and you can't, Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus would not do that. Then why did Jesus say, do this? See, the problem is that we don't understand the context of what he's talking about here and how this would actually look if we applied it in a local church. Christ says that one of the first teachings on the church to the body, that a key in a healthy church is dealing with sin in a believer's life. Did you get that? This is the key to a healthy church. A couple thoughts on this. Number one, if you're looking at the text, it starts privately. Right? You go one-on-one, privately. We go humbly and we go speaking the truth in love. The goal is to encourage our brother or sister to be one from the sin, to not be trapped in the sin anymore because sin is damaging. So if Pastor Keith has going through something and it comes to my attention and he might even tell me, he might say, hey man, I'm really struggling with this, then guess what? If I go to Keith and I say one-on-one, this is what we got to do to deal with this, I'm not going so that Keith knows I'm better than him. I'm going because I want Keith to be in a better situation with his walk with the Lord and be set free from that sin. Do you see the motivation? It starts privately. Then, number two, we wait for a response. We wait for a response. It says, if he doesn't respond, if he doesn't listen. We don't have a timeline here. It's not like I go to Keith today and tomorrow I go with three more. No, you've got to give time for repentance. You've got to give time for the Spirit to work. If they listen, the Bible says, you have won your brother, and the whole process stops right there. It doesn't need to go any farther, because they've responded in repentance. And it's not that you look for signs of repentance. You just trust them. I've repented. Amen. I praise God with you, and we move on. Too many churches look for signs of repentance. No, you've got to show me that you're repentant. I'm not the Holy Spirit. If the person says they've repented, I believe that. Number three, another thing we got to see in this text is that they don't respond. Then you go with spiritual friends. You pick spiritual leaders in the church or people that you trust together that could go and encourage not to beat up, not to condemn, but to encourage. And number four, if the person is still refusing to get out of the sin, still refusing to admit that it's wrong, Jesus says you take it to the church. So the body can express their love and support for their family member trapped in sin. It is not like you bring the person up front and you go, here's brother so-and-so and and this is their list of sins. No, no. It's saying that in the body we say, man, brother so-and-so is really battling with some sin right now. And I want us to pray for him. I want us to unite around him and support him and encourage him and love on him so that he will see the error of his ways and find the forgiveness and repent to be able to walk as a brother and sister in Christ. First thing you thought when I said that, odds are, is no church that does that will grow. I've had people, you can't do, you can't follow this and grow a church. No one will come. See, my concern then is that you're not really looking for a healthy church, you're looking for a big church. And I would rather have a healthy church and not care about the size of the church because he grows the church anyway. I'm just called to help the church to be a healthy church. See, if we really love on each other like the body of Christ is supposed to, and are there for each other, and we support each other, and there's trust in the body of Christ, then, then there should be that kind of a unity, and that kind of a freedom of support and love and encouragement. Many churches or believers, like I said, will not follow this instruction of the Lord, because it will make the church appear to be not very loving. 
My question is this. If I let sin run rampant in my brother's life and do nothing to help, is that true love? If I let sin just run rampant in my brother's life, is that true love? People will also say, well, then what sins do we apply this to? And what sins are we really talking about? That's an easy question with an even easier answer, all of it. Because all sin is destructive and all sin is damaging. See, all sin can cause problems and must be dealt with in a loving but honest manner. The key to the text is the phrase to win a brother or gaining a brother, not kick them out. We go with the hopes of restoration. But what about that original question asked? What about the church? I mean, will it really grow if you apply this principle, the principle that Jesus set forth for his church? Would it really grow? Will the church really grow if you apply this model to the church? My answer is yes. It will grow by the Lord's blessing and his hand. We see this model play out. If you're taking notes in the New Testament, I'm going to give you some references. Matthew chapter 18, Acts chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 Timothy 1. All deal with this exact same idea. And correct me if I'm wrong, but during the time of these churches, these churches were healthy and growing churches when they applied this principle. It seems that this was the common practice among the early church. So what happened? Why, why do we not see this anymore in any churches hardly? Because people started to misunderstand and misrepresent and misapply what this is dealing with and became more about pointing out your sin than gaining a brother or sister to Christ. It became more about making us look better than you than it is about realizing we're all in this thing together and we all could fall at any time. And so we need each other. We need the support of each other. So as we conclude, I want to encourage us with just a couple questions. Do you have any unconfessed sin in your life right now? You know Christ, but you are trapped in a sin, and you need to confess and repent and turn from that sin. Embrace the grace and forgiveness of Christ and walk in holiness. Seek holiness, not as a merit of salvation or to keep, but as a result and evidence of the walk of Christ that you are in. Second question, are you here and have never trusted in Christ for forgiveness of your sin? You need to realize today, that Christ poured out his blood as a sacrifice to cover our sins. And just by trusting his grace and repenting from your sin and following Christ, you can and will be forgiven of all sin. Not some, all. I want to ask you just to bow your heads right there where you are. And as you bow your heads there and as you begin to pray, I know that this topic and this content can be difficult to handle, difficult to process. but I want you to just seek him this morning. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to be honest with the Holy Spirit and to be honest about any and all unconfessed sin in your life. That as a believer, you are freed from sin. As a believer, you are not bound to sin and that sin is forgiven. But as a believer, maybe you've made a sin decision. Maybe you've been trapped into something and, and you find yourself that that you seem to not have victory over this sin for very long before you fall right back into it. And I don't even want to name it because I don't know what sin it is. Maybe it's a mindset. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a way of speaking. Maybe it's a way of treating other people. I don't even know what it might be. But maybe this morning you would just come and bow a knee and just say, Holy Spirit, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this issue. Let's talk about this situation. Let's deal with it. Let's handle it. I'm repenting of it. I'm confessing it. Not to gain again my salvation or to keep my salvation, but so that I can walk with you in honesty, in love. Whatever it is, maybe right there in your seats, you've already been asking the Spirit to speak. Maybe you're here this morning and when it comes to dealing with other people's sins, you tend to be more judgmental, condemning, hostile, and aggressive. Maybe in an unbeliever's life that you know at work or at school or wherever you might find yourself, you tend to look down on them more than you tend to look at them. So maybe this morning you would just look at them with the eyes and the love of Christ and ask for an opportunity to share the love and grace of God with them. Maybe you're here and you know a believer that is stuck in a sin situation that is trapped Maybe you would go lovingly and humbly, but honestly. 
not to point out their sin or to make them feel bad, but to show them that they can find forgiveness and restoration. Maybe we would put this thing into practice, what Jesus actually taught. And instead of calling down our six friends and trying to get people to agree with us about how bad that person is, we would actually go to them first and have a conversation with them. Whatever it is that God is doing in your life, I want you to just respond. Because that's why we're here, to be shown how to live, how to walk, how to think by the grace of God and by his working in the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, may you have your freedom this morning. May no one here quench you, quench your spirit, or try to silence you this morning. We come with open ears. We're not looking to hear what we want to hear. We're looking to hear what we need to hear from you. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, draw us to that moment. Draw us to that situation. Let's have that conversation. And whatever it is that you need us to do and we need to do in a decision or a commitment, I pray that we would be on the same page. That by giving up that sin and giving up that situation, that we would see a revival start in our hearts. And that that revival, that that awakening would spread. Because as destructive as sin can be, your love, your grace is so much stronger. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So may we be vessels of your grace, conduits of your mercy into someone else's life. Draw us now, Lord, to whatever it is we need to do, whatever it is we need to say, think, whatever commitment decision we need to make, I pray we would make it this morning. Help us to see sin as you see it, destructive and damaging, but also able to be forgiven by the blood of Christ. Do what you need to do, Holy Spirit, and we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As Pastor Keith and these guys lead us in a song of invitation, maybe you want to come this morning and pray. Bow a knee and just seek him this morning. Maybe you want to pray there in your seats. Maybe you want to sing out to him a song of praise. Would you just respond? I know this is a tough topic and it's a hard teaching sometimes to apply, but let's respond. Let's, let's, let's see these things as he sees them and respond in a godly way this morning. Whatever it is, you just respond to him this morning as we sing.